0: The following message is from Kings Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at KingsCrossManchester.com. We are in Genesis, and we are in chapter five. So, if you uh, want to turn there, I will. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read our whole passage for us, and then we're going to start looking through it and understanding the passage together. Uh, This is one of those sections of the Bible where everybody's kind of like, what's with the phone book? We're going to get into that. I think there's a lot more here than just a phone book, but there is a lot uh, of names here. So uh, forgive me if I don't quite pronounce them correctly, but uh, we're going to read Genesis 5, the whole chapter. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created when adam had lived 130 years he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and his name and he named him seth the days of adam after he fathered seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters thus all the days that adam lived were 930 years and he died when seth had lived 105 years he fathered enosh Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. And Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were uh, 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered uh, Mahaliel. Kenan lived after he fathered Maheliel 840 years and, after, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Maheliel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Maheliel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Maheliel were 809, 895 years. I apologize. Um, and he died when Jared had lived 162 years he fathered Enoch Jared lived after he had fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died when Enoch had lived 65 years he fathered Methuselah I apologize any recommendations anybody Methuselah there we go Sorry, this is a group effort, guys. I really do apologize. Um, Methuselah, I've got expert here. <laughs> that, that sounds right. Yes. yes. Back to it. Uh, Enoch had walked with God um, after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Let's pray. God, as we have read through this list of names and people that you value and care about, I pray that you would help us to understand that in the midst of this, you stand faithful and good and loving. And you desire to be present with us. So I pray that you would help us to experience you in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with... Uh, assembling furniture. Uh, I've gotten pretty good at assembling furniture over my adult life and I've developed very strong opinions about assembly instructions. Um, I'm not sure if you have ever been to IKEA and built IKEA furniture, but that seems like everybody has to have done that at some point. Um, I have had lots of IKEA furniture. If you've been to our house, you know we have a lot of IKEA furniture and then I've unfortunately had to buy non-Ikea furniture and if you've gotten into IKEA furniture, you know how simple their instructions are. Like, they don't even have words, right? You know, like, they're just, I'm not exactly sure what kind of drawings they are, but they're a certain drawing type where they just basically show you how to put things together. And then if you've ever tried to put together American instructions, it's usually like, here's a picture of what it should look like, and then here's section A with subcategories one, two, three, and four, section B, and it all just kind of basically tells you what to do without any illustrations of how to put it together. And it gets very complicated. It's very difficult to follow. Um, there is a sense in which kind of all of these names in this chapter can feel very complicated, but at the heart of it and running through it is the simplicity of what faith means and what it means to walk with God. Uh, we've been following, if you've been following through, uh, we've been preaching through Genesis and things have been getting um, increasingly more complicated. We opened up the book looking at Genesis 1, God created everything and what the days of the creation meant. And we look at chapter 2 and God kind of restating that in relation to how he created humanity and what that means to be created in the image of God. And then things start to kind of go downhill because in Genesis 3 we have sin introducing introduced into the picture and things begin to crack and fall apart. And then certainly in Genesis 4 where Peter preached for us on Cain and Abel, the introduction of death into the world. And things start to both get complicated and death starts to take over and the world begins to start to fall apart. And so here we have a bit of a breathing moment in Genesis 5 of a list of names. And as you would have read this, uh, with, if you, if you hear us, us read this out loud, there's a certain um, intentional pattern of reading the names out loud, reading these lists out loud, and then we're, we're kind of forced to pause and reflect on a few passages in this chapter where that pattern of so-and-so lived, he lived for this many years, he had a child... This child's name was so and so he had other sons and daughters and they, they, it's patterned through it we're supposed to pause on the sections that don't have that pattern or add to that pattern or adjust it slightly so amidst all the kind of the development of Genesis as we move forward this this phone book you might call this in Genesis 5 offers us the opportunity to revisit amidst all the complications of sin and death in the world what does it mean to follow God what does that look like for us what is what is going on? So if you're wondering kind of what is the main point of this sermon, I simply think that this is the main idea here. Simply wanting God is the heart of biblical spirituality. That's really what this, is a, this chapter is holding out for us, so simply wanting God himself, simply wanting to be with God. There's a lot of complicating things in our lives. <laughs> Certainly we've just talked about Ukraine and Russia, and that is uh, a mess. I think I think in the midst of all of this stuff, God is holding out for us a simplicity of wanting him. So there's going to be three simple things we want to look at here in this passage. And so we're going to start out by just simply looking at grace. What is the simple grace of this passage? So I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. We've already read all the names, and so we're going to kind of leave that uh, for another time. But let's look at verses 1 through 3, I'm sorry, 1 through 5 of Genesis 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Again, this whole, like, the book of the generations is a thing that happens seven times in Genesis, so there's an important kind of marker. This is a bit of like a mile marker on the highway going down the book of Genesis. When God created man, he created him his own likeness, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. So we'll just pause there. This is a restatement of what happens in Genesis 1, where God makes mankind. He makes mankind male and female. He creates them in the image of God. It's restating. It's a it's a revisiting of the beginning of the book. Because almost like Genesis 5 is, hey, we've gotten this far. Let's not remember God made mankind in his image so that we can enjoy him and image him and be like him. And so then what happens in verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered, a son in his own likeness, after his image, and he named him Seth. So it's interesting here in verse three, immediately out of the gate, what happens in kind of restating the Genesis account, it reaffirms that the fall and all the sin that had happened in chapters two, three, and four has not erased the image of God in us. God created us to be like him, to image him, to be like little miniature kind of God creatures that live out what it's like to be God, who have hands because God holds us up, who has, we have voices to speak and words to say because God creates the world by the power of his word and engages with people by communicating. So we reflect God's image. And it wasn't erased by the introduction of sin and death into this world. So here we have Adam being said, Adam lived 130 years. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. He named him Seth. In the days of, of Adam, after he fathered Seth for 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, thus all the days that Adam lived for 930 years and he died. It's critical, I think, just to begin to see here as we open up this chapter, just simply that God's grace for us and what it means to be like God is to continue to image him in the world, to be like him, to talk with other people, to have friends and family, to have neighbors, To engage with people and to image him and sin and death has not erased that in our life in fact there's this interesting kind of um, uh, contrasting dynamic going on here if you read in chapter 4 we have another genealogy of Cain and it's interesting to kind of take Cain's genealogy and what happens here in Genesis 5 and kind of compare them Cain's genealogy is very convoluted it's not convoluted in the sense of like um, it doesn't make sense but it's it's just kind of like all jumbled together. It just says, "Here's Cain. Here's the people that he had, and these are all the things that they accomplished." Whereas the the line of God's people that He loves and engages with, and uses is very systematic and formulaic. Cain's is in a very sense, in a, in a real sense, jumbled. The people are identified by what they worked for and what they did with their lives, and there's no indication of how long they lived or when they died. There's no indication of like anything like that. It's just a name and what they accomplished and the, be- and the people they were related to whereas Seth's is very formulaic here's Seth, he lived this long he had sons and daughters he lived with God and died and we see that again actually with God's righteous line um, through uh, the, the, uh, it's alluded to here at the end of the chapter through Shem uh, and Genesis 11 it's a similar formulaic re- recounting of who lived they lived for this long, they had this many kids, blah, blah, blah. In a very intentional way, it's showing that their their life and who they were ba- had value to God himself. Whereas Cain's line, the line of people who were considered wicked and evil, were identified by what they worked for and what they did with their lives, good or bad, the line of people that God blesses and loves, there's no mention of what they did with their lives. I and mean, Isn't it interesting that, like, I mean, we know what Noah did because he built an, an ark, but like, what did Adam do? Like, I assume he was a farmer. Um, Seth, I, I assume so. But, like, what did they do? That doesn't seem to rise to the level of being mentioned here. It's interesting that their accomplishments aren't mentioned at all. And it's not, I don't think it's even important that they were necessarily the firstborn sons in the line. Seth was not the firstborn son. So I think the names that are mentioned are people who were noted for their relationship with God more likely than just simply. They were the firstborn son because Seth wasn't. I'd take it or leave it, but it gets kind of interesting when you start to put all these pieces together to just, just notice the simple grace of the passage. I, I want to put a graphic up just to kind of put this picture, this chapter in, in, on display here. When I read this, I can kind of read it and be like, you know. Uh, Adam lived, and then he died, and he's off the stage. And Seth lived, and he died, and he's off the stage. Whereas the reality is when you kind of put all these dates and names together, there's a significant overlap until the flood. Like, there's there's a lot of, this is a big house. Like, you realize, like, in Genesis 1 and 2, where he says, be fruitful and multiply, this is the grace that we're beginning to see in their lives. They are being fruitful and multiplying. They have a culture. They have people. They have a place. They have a lot of things going on. There's a lot of life in this line of grace. They are extending and growing, and it's almost like they needed an encanto house. Like, you know, like the encanto house where like they just kept building on rooms, like they needed more space for people. Like, this is a lot. So just remember, these are just the names. This is seven generations of names or more. There's the line of, the flood right there, this is, uh, and it's only the names of the, the, no, the, the noted person in the genealogy. There's other sons and daughters. And frankly, I just don't, I don't know how many that is, but I mean, if they're going to live for 800 years, other sons and daughters is like, I don't know, a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this house. I think what's fascinating here is to consider that none, nothing about what they did or what they worked for in their lives as mentioned but their name who they lived with who they loved that was the part that that is noted that is the part that has value that is the place where god's grace rests not in what they accomplished but the fact that they live with god i think that's a part of what we see here in our lives with god is that you and i we we may not accomplish a lot with our lives like it's it's good to do things and to work have families and friends and all that stuff, but the critical thing for who Jesus is for us is that he brings us into his family with God and makes us a part of God's family where we have value because of who we are, not because of what we do for God, right? The the nature of the gospel is that we don't work to get God's affection. God gives us his affection and he loves us because that's who he is. He's not a God who's gonna give extra star points for people who, you know, a lot with their lives, have big businesses or families or whatever, he values us for who we are. It just kind of like, actually, that's the point of the movie Encanto, right? It's not the gift that you have, you are the gift. And that's a similar sense of what's going on here. You have value to God because of who you are. And he loves to give grace, simple grace to people, regardless of what they are or how, what we've accomplished with our lives. What I want to do now is I want to drop over to verse 21, and you notice Enoch kind of gets a lot of attention in this passage, and so I'd like to meditate a little bit on that passage with us. So we've looked at simple grace. God simply loves us and enjoys us for who we are, and that is the nature of his relationship with us. We're going to see a little bit more of that in a simple walk, verse 21 to 25. Let me read that for us. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years, he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. This is, a, this is picking up on that walking language. This is a critical idea in the Bible related to just what does a relationship with God look like. It is always captured in terms of walking. It's a living with God. It's an active life. It's not, just, it's not sitting and thinking, it's living with God. So, for example, God shows up in Genesis 3, and what is he doing in Genesis 3? He's walking in the garden. And then just this next chapter with Noah, it said that Noah walked with God. And so this idea of walking with God becomes incredibly critical. So, for, so for example, we can throw Micah up here. Um, Micah 6. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is a, a regular refrain over and over in what our relationship with God looks like. So, for example, in Matthew 4, when Jesus comes and he, he calls disciples to him, he doesn't say, hey, come and think with me. What does he say? Come and follow me. Walk with me walk in this life with me, follow after me. So, in the book of Acts, the people who follow Jesus, what do they call it? The, the Christians, the early identifier for Christians is they're, they're called the way. People who are of the way. Now, if we were to say, hey, we're of the way now, that would sound like we're a cult from the 70s. <laughs> Actually, there were Bibles in the 70s that were printed that the way was on the cover. I, I grew up with one in my house. It was, but still, the idea of the way being like This is picking up here of this main idea that walking is a critical image for how we live our lives with God. So Hebrews 11 picks up on Enoch and says this, "...by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists." and that he rewards those who seek him. So the way the Bible reflects on Enoch's life is that his faith pleased God because in a very critical sense, Enoch's walk with God was seeking God himself, wanting God for who he is, wanting God to be with him. As opposed to Cain, who wanted something from God, God, your, your judgment on my sin is too hard. I can't bear this, so God helps him out. But Cain, crew doesn't have doesn't have any interest in God himself. Enoch wants God, for God's sake. He wants God because of who God is. Enoch becomes a critical component in Jewish theology up until the time of Jesus. Um, so you find him getting mentioned here in Hebrews and referred to in other ways because it's in Jewish theology. The main the top three guys are Enoch, Moses, and Ab- um, Enoch, Moses, and Abraham. But it's interesting to me, I want to kind of reflect on this a little bit, that Enoch is credited with a faith that walked with God, the type of faith that walked with God that he's the only person in the entire Bible who doesn't die. I mean, everybody else dies. Enoch does not. And this is before he had a Bible. This is before he had the law. This is before he had Christian radio. <laughs> he had no podcasts. Didn't have Spotify. He didn't have YouTube videos. He didn't have anything, but he walked with God. I think there's something for us here to consider in our spiritual life that there are a number of good things and critical things in a part of our life with God, but the most most critical thing to a biblical spirituality that God enjoys is a life that wants God himself. So, for example, to use another verse, uh, from the New Testament related to walking, Colossians 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the Bible holds out for this idea that we live in Jesus in a certain way so that our walking in him results in an experience of gratitude an experience of wonder at the world around us of who God has made us, an experience of mercy. God, you've forgiven my sin and you've, been, you've welcomed me in your family. Last week or two weeks ago, Peter, preaching in, in Genesis 4, commented on um, the, the discipline that he's developed of uh, gratitude. I, I don't know if you still do that, but just the idea of gratitude, like listing out 10 things a day first for a period of time as a way of almost refer, basically rewiring your brain to recognize God's work around us. We can, I think the Bible is critically important, but I think that it's interesting reflecting on Enoch. He had a life with God that saw God and everything, and he wanted God himself in a certain way that can, that his faith is what draw, drew God in. So I've one thing to consider from this, what is one simple thing that will help you walk with God, to enjoy God himself, to want God for who he is. I think it's great to do Bible studies. I think it's great to read your Bible on a daily basis. I think that's critically important. But the point being, how do we do those things so that we want more of God himself and not just kind of checking off off the religious box? So maybe that is doing a Bible reading plan. Maybe it's what Peter recommended. What are 10 things a day? And you can't repeat them that you're looking for to see God's activity in your life, where you are grateful for what he's done for you. And that, that's what Colossians six, or 2 is saying, right? Rooted, you're walking in a way where you're rooted and built up in Jesus so that you are abounding in thanksgiving. This life with God where we walk with him and see him active and moving around us. Maybe that is reading your Bible on a regular basis. Maybe that's asking a friend to help you. Hey, let's get together once a week or let's get together every few weeks to consider where do we see God active in our life? Maybe that's um, reading a psalm a day. I mean, that's a very simple and accessible way to engage. Okay, how can I read a psalm to, to have my, my my emotions and my life engaged with God's Word? Um, I, honestly, I've really enjoyed uh, Be Thou My Vision is a new de, kind of devotional, a daily devotional type thing um, from Jonathan Gibson. It's basically like a worship service for, that you can do through the month. Um, like one, one a day, super helpful. Maybe this is something to consider in your small group, but Enoch's faith walked with God and enjoyed God for who he was. How can we walk in a similar way where it's great to do lots of things, but how are we making sure that they help us to experience God himself? This God who graciously continues to live with people who have sinned and fallen from him. This God who continues to pursue people who are living in such crazy ways. I mean, Genesis is going to get weird, right, with all the ways that people live. But this God who continues to pursue us and enjoy us and love us, even in the midst of all the weirdness of our lives. Does that make sense? We're tracking? Okay. All right, let's close with simple things. Look, to simple grace... Looked at a simple walk, and then I want to just point us to simple faith here at the end of Genesis 5. Verse 28 When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah. 595 years, he had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem and Ham and Japheth. It's interesting, Um, so the the name Noah means relief. So he's basically putting the the promise or the the prayer that he wants from God into the name of Noah. Noah's name means relief. God, I'd like for relief. Let me name my son Relief, right? Um, You find this actually in, uh, this is just reflecting my own home life, where uh, in the 1800s, 1700s, you find these names like Prudence. These sort of, I imagine, like, after you've had, like, five or six kids, like, you'd like to name your... I'm going to just name my child Patience because that's what I'm going to need to get through this, you know? So there's a certain sense in which he's just kind of naming him after what he wants. God, I want you to do this for us, so we're going to name Noah. We're going to name him Relief. And it, it's fascinating the, the, what he... The reason he gives out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. So he's referring back to the curse in Genesis 3. This one shall bring us Relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And um, there's a certain sense in which the word toil, we preached through Ecclesiastes a couple years ago. It's crazy to think that that was in 2020, and that feels like five years ago, but it was only 18 months ago that we preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. Peter helped us kind of think through toil as not being work in general, but specifically uh, futile striving for, for meaning in life from work. There's a certain sense of that toil gets used 35 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. So there's a real sense in which Ecclesiastes is picking up on something that Lamech's praying about. Life is hard. Uh, I feel like I work really, really hard and nothing happens from it. My life doesn't seem to get any better from all the work I do. God, this is a part of the curse. Relieve us. Help us out. That's what Lamech is praying for. And there's a certain sense in which Lamech's faith and Eve's faith is similar. When Eve um, has Seth This is going to be the son who delivers us, is what she says. And Lamech is effectively saying, like, okay, God, I'd really like for that promise to be delivered from the curse to happen now. There's a sense in which it's good faith. God, you promised us, help us, deliver us. But there's a little bit of a a misguided or short-sighted faith. Noah is going to deliver them. And the more important deliverance is not from the work and toil of our hands but from the sin and curse of sin and shame and death in our lives. So Lamech's faith is based on God's promise. God deliver us, but his orientation and what he's wanting get us out of all this meaningless work that we do, well, that's good, but the reality is that we need our deliverance from sin and death. Lamech's faith is still honored and responded to by God, but it's a little misguided. I think that there is something helpful in this just to kind of see that Lamech is praying a good thing and he's a little bit short-sighted in what he wants because the reality is that, as we saw with Cain, God is continuing to respond to imperfect people with imperfect faith. We don't have to have our faith in what we want in life kind of all figured out before God responds to us. God responds to Lamech's prayer and he does give them relief from the coming judgment um, that comes in the flood. It's not the ultimate relief though. That comes with Christ. I, it's interesting to me, I, I can't confirm this detail, but I heard in college somebody make this statement. It was a professor who basically made the comment that every third generation of Christians feels like they're the end times. Um, I'm not exactly sure where to ground that or if that's true, but that feels in a certain sense true. Like every third generation of Christians feels like this is the end times. God's going to come and show up now, and he's going to deliver us. And thus far, at least as far as I can see, that has not happened. And yet God still responds to those people and cares about them and engages their life of faith. We can have misguided assertions or promises or things we want about life that may even be good. You think of like, God, I want to find a spouse, or God, I want... You know, this for my children, or God, I want this for my work, or God, I want this for my life, whatever it is, they may even be good things. They may never arrive, but God is still engaged with us, and he's not kind of like, well, you didn't pray it quite right, so I'm not going to give you what you wanted. God doesn't particularly seem fluffed by imperfect faith. It's not the substance, necessarily, of how good our faith is, but it's the object. Lamech wanted to respond to who God was. And he was a little misguided in how he did that. God still responded to him. It's not how strong will you believe in Jesus that saves you or that God enjoys. It's the fact that you you believe in Jesus who is strong. We sing that in one of our songs, right? He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast not because of how strong my faith is but because of who he is. At the heart of this passage, we see over and over again that God is himself the strength of spiritual life with him. It's not necessarily how good our faith is. It's not even with how well put together our lives are. It's that God himself loves to be with people who want him. We see this in, in Matthew 4, or Matthew 18. Jesus' disciples come to him and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called to him a child, And put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Like with my kids, they don't particularly care what my work life is or what I've accomplished or anything like that, Uh, especially the younger ones. They just kind of want to jump in. I want to be with you. Um sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, (laughs) sometimes in the afternoon. But that's the picture of what Jesus is holding out for us. It's not so much what you've accomplished or done with your life. It doesn't particularly matter to God in a certain sense. But God wants you to want him. That's at the heart of who Jesus is for us. Because all the things that separate us from God, our sin and shame and death, Jesus has taken those on and brings us now freely into god's presence to enjoy him to want him and to receive him whoever humbles himself and wants god for god's sake not for what they can do not for what god can do for them like cain that is the faith that saves us and no church no pastor no denomination has a corner on this you know the folks who meet at different churches or have different denominational traditions that they don't have a corner on that any more than we do. Jesus freely brings us into his presence to enjoy him because he's that type of god who forgives and welcomes us into his presence. I think at the heart of this we see a god who is eager to be with us. And continues to have mercy and compassion on us. And I pray that in the heart of this, our spiritual life is not hung up on, have I done enough for God? Have I prayed enough with God? Have I read enough of the Bible? Have I been to church enough? It really is at the heart of what the Bible is holding out for us is wanting God for God's sake because of who he is. So let's pray. Father, as we've looked at this passage and considered what you have for us here, I pray that we would want you, that we would want you for who you are, because you're good and gracious and kind. We don't have to have our ducks in a row. We don't have to have our life figured out, but you still enjoy us and want us. So I pray that we would respond in kind and enjoy and love you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you